In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. I want to ask you a question. I want to start with a question, and uh, we'll take a bit of audience responses. So, one of the mums uh, at, uh, uh, at uh, 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 SMSK sent a message to Mary... Um, they're part of, they have like a mom's small group. And so she sent a message to her, um, sharing a conversation that she had with her four-year-old daughter. So this is the text conversation. I'll just read it to you right now. Um, it says today, staring at a wooden cross, so-and-so the daughter says this, mom, what's this? Me, blood. Jesus died on the cross for us. And then the little girl says, why did he die for no reason? Mom says, he didn't die for no reason. He died to save us from our sins. Little girl says, I don't understand what that means. Can you tell me more? Mom says, oh yes, sure. Let's get a drink of water first. Diversion. I have no idea how to explain this to a four-year-old. Of course, this is going to end up in my lap, right? So, how do you explain this to a four-year-old? I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> nice try. Um, I'd explain the consequences of anything that you would do wrong in school, or if you do something wrong at home, and the consequence of that being, um, I don't know, you don't get gym time or you have to stay in your room and that's like the result of you doing something wrong um, and then say something along the lines of the result of sin is that we don't be with God at all um, and then God um, God had uh, went, went on the cross but paid that price for us so rather than we be separated from God he chose to, to die for us so we don't be separated from God as a result alrighty thank you for that answer how about somebody else Imagine yourself talking to your four-year-old nephew, your four-year-old niece. I used to uh, have a cross that I wear around my neck um, uh, that uh, had like Jesus on the cross and like he was like, like dripping like a pool of blood, you know? So one of the little kids at church who is like about the same height as like my navel, you know, looks at it and he looks at me and he's like, what's that? And I say, same th- same blood. He goes... But why? Right? So how do you, how do you, what do you, what do you say? How do you explain that? What would you answer? Need at least two more answers before we go on. Oh, am I being recorded? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I record everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will try to explain in a very simple sense that sometimes in order for you to move forward, you have to go backwards. So it's, it's a type of sacrifice. So sometimes you give up your candies that you collect from Halloween in order to make friends at school. So it's this concept about giving up something and then sacrifice in order for the world to gain more. Like that concept. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Anything that has to do with candy <laughs> is great. Alrighty, at least one more answer before we go on. Anybody?
So have you ever had a timeout and you know that you didn't do something wrong, but even though you're trying to do something good, but you still got the timeout regardless? It's a lot like that, except that you know that you did something right, so you feel good about it. <laughs> Can you explain it? It's a four-year-old. Basically, yeah, that makes sense. So, so let me share my answer with you, which is not going to be nearly as eloquent as Saint Athanasius, um, and then we'll see what elements from on the incarnation really speak to that. So, what I shared with her, with with Mary, to share with this mom, and then it actually became the topic of their next. Uh, of their next small group was suppose you were standing by the side of the pool and you fell in what would daddy do? dive in after you, right? and what would he why would he do that? to save your life And why did he want to save your life? Because he loves you. And quite frankly, he can't really imagine his life without you. Even more so, if he could imagine it, it's the last thing he would ever want. He might even go so far to say, as life wouldn't be worth living without you. So, if you fell into the pool, if you, Daddy would dive in after you. And if Adam and Eve, and all of humanity, chose to die, although they had the potential to be immortal, God would choose to die with them and to rescue them from death. St. Athanasius um, uh, wrote this seminal work called On the Incarnation. People refer to it as the fifth gospel. People refer to it as, as what sums up all, like, all of our faith in in, in, one, in one work. Uh, some people read it as they read scripture. Like if they read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, they'll read on the incarnation afterwards. Um, St. Cyril of Alexandria, the pillar of faith, spent his entire life trying to explain the teachings of St. Athanasius, predominantly from On the Incarnation, but also from his first work. This is St. Athanasius's second theological work. Um, his first one was called Against Arians. This is his second one. And then he also wrote Life of Anthony and various other letters. He wrote some other letters, but as a, as a work, like as a whole book, you know, this is kind of... Um, it's three big parts and so on and and I'm I'm not an expert I'm not a theologian I don't have any uh, like formal theological education so I'm like you 
Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who's reading and learning and trying to grow and trying to walk in my life with Christ. And um, I confess to you, I've probably picked up on the incarnation and put it down more than a dozen times. Um, and it's not because it's difficult. It's because I had no idea what he's talking about. Like, and the language is relatively simple. There is a little bit of like some words that we don't really use, but now you can like, you know, on any iOS device, you just highlight it, look up, you know, it gives you Wikipedia, the dictionary, like, you know, so it's not, it's not so much the English, it's, I don't know, I just couldn't. And like anything else that you try to read several times over, finally, it clicks. So I'm going to try to cover part one today and part two and three are shorter and those could be covered next week. Or in, a separate, or in a separate talk or something like that. So he starts off by talking about the creation and the fall. Look, whenever you want to understand anything in, like, in relation to God and humanity and why we're here and what we're doing here, you're almost always going to end up back in the garden somehow. And so he talks about creation um, and he talks about how creation came from God and he answers a few of the heresies at his, uh, in his time. And I'm not going to, I'm going to kind of just, um, I'm, I'm not going to go really big, um, deeply into those heresies um, uh, because they're, uh, they're interesting. But um, that's part of why I think I kind of got lost. And what St. Athanasius goes on to explain is that God created us. From, and he brought us from non-existence into existence. Um, and in so doing, when he brought us into existence, we, we had communion with him. And you'll find like this word communion, uh, he doesn't use the word communion, but he uses the word of, like this, of us being with him. And he says, by nature, of course, man is mortal. And since he was made from nothing, he's mortal. He is made from nothing and should return to nothing. But he bears also the likeness of him who was. And if he preserves that likeness through constant contemplation, then this nature is deprived of its power and he remains incorrupt. In the Book of Wisdom, St. Athanasius quotes, the keeping of his laws is the assurance of incorruption. What's he talking about here? He's saying this. He's saying what another saint kind of summarized and put it very nicely. St. Theophilus of Antioch says that when God created us, he created us with the potential for mortality or immortality through disobedience or obedience. I was trying to remember which one I said first. So disobedience makes us mortal. Obedience keeps us immortal. And St. Theophilus of Antioch just, he summarized it. He just said that when we were created, we were kind of like for the science people out there, we were kind of like a pluripotent cell, you know, that could kind of differentiate either down e either pathway, okay? Or like you're driving on the highway and there's, you know, a fork in the road and it exits this way or that way. Mutually exclusive, but you know, before the fork, it could go either way, right? So how does it go 
the path of immortality. Like I told you, I lived in Vancouver for six years. Okay, everybody in Vancouver is trying to live forever. You know, everybody's doing yoga, everybody runs, everybody eats healthy. People, you see somebody smoking and everybody points the finger and they're like, make, like, like you know, it's like, a, it's like look down upon. It's like Montreal, it's cool if you smoke. Vancouver, it's uncool if you smoke. Toronto doesn't know what to, to make of it yet, you know, <laughs> right? Anyhow, right? So, so everybody's trying to live forever, right? And it's, it's like it's in us, like to search for the fountain of youth, to live forever. And it was in Adam and Eve and it was in humanity when God created them to, to live, to want, to desire, to live forever. And to do so by obedience, by remaining in communion with with God. I'll read that portion for you again. He says that by nature, of course, man is mortal. St. Athanasius is saying. So by nature, we're mortal. We should die. Since he was made from nothing. But he bears also the likeness of him who is. Like the him, we bear the likeness. We are, we are like him who is. Who is, what does that mean? He is, he is the ever-existing he is not, not just immortal. He, he precedes existence. He is always he who is. And if he, he, human, he, humankind, if mankind preserves that likeness through constant contemplation, then his nature, the nature of humankind, the nature which would lead us to die, is deprived of its power and remains incorrupt. The word incorrupt here is not like understood as like, like, more, like, like moral corruption, like, oh, that person is so corrupt, like in their dealings. No, no, it's, it's in the sense of like, like, like if, if you take this strawberry and you leave it on the counter for long enough, what's going to happen to it? It's going to rot, right? It's going to, it's going to, it's corruptible, you know? It's not incorrupt you know it's not inert right we were meant we were we were created and meant to be kept in this union with god that would keep us incorruptible keep us living forever with a god who lives forever so this is an analogy this is not uh, uh saint athanasius gave some analogies which we're going to look at but this is a different analogy that he didn't give um, when you plug a, a charger into the wall or something, sometimes they have like a little LED light indicator, right? What happens when you pull the plug out? Well, no electricity goes through to your device. If your device is on, if your t TV is on or whatever, then your TV will go like off, right? If it was a battery thing that you were charging, then, then the battery will last for as long as it will last and then it will die, right? That's what we say, my battery is dead, right? So when the connection is ruptured, life no longer proceeds to the end device, to the end organ, to the end whatever. You know, when, um, a, a, you know, a medical analogy, when, when God forbid somebody, like part of their body is cut off, a finger, a leg, an arm, a whatever, a hand, right? We have about six hours to reconnect it. You know, and then after that, it becomes so rotten, gangrenous, that it's no longer going to function, you know. And probably if we hook it back up again, there's so much 
dead poisonous bad stuff in, in it that's just going to cir- circulate back into the whole body and probably cause the person to die. So usually the kind of rough rule of thumb, it's different for different things. And, and there are heroic things that have been done and people put things in the fridge and the freezer and so on and this and that. But really six hours, right? And the idea is why? Because if it stays disconnected for too long, it will die, it will rot, it will, it is, be, why? Because it is, it is by its nature corruptible. But as long as it stays attached to the source of life, then it, then it stays, it stays alive. So that's the first thing that St. Athanasius establishes, right? Then he talks about the fall, right? That through disobedience, that's exactly what happened. And and then he says, and through disobedience and sin, corruption took seed in our flesh. And that's essentially how we understand illness and death in orthodoxy, right? Like, that's essentially how we understand why do people get sick? Like, well, we weren't meant to get sick. We were meant to be preserved by the life of God, right? We were meant to be connected to the life force so that we would never actually get sick, but having been, you know, having, having had a rupture, and, and we could talk about why disobedience is, a, a, is, is a, a rupture of that loving relationship or that loving communion. But the, the, we, it's, not a, it's not a big thing, but it's an aside. We'll talk, you can ask me questions later or, or one-on-one or whatever. So that's kind of... That's kind of like chapter one in part one. I'm just kind of covering part one. That's kind of, that's kind of chapter one, the creation and the fall. Okay? Then the next thing is he talks about is he calls it the divine dilemma. So here's God, and he sees the crown of his creation, the most amazing thing of all of his creation unraveling before his eyes. This is again an analogy that St. Athanasius doesn't use, but you can understand it. Have you ever had a sweater that you really like or something and you see like a little string hanging off of it? So what do you do? You do what I do. You can't resist the temptation. You pull the string. You think you're going to just tear it. What begins to happen, right? It begins to unravel. God can see his creation, his most beautiful creation unraveling before his eyes. What's he going to do? He's just going to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, let them go to hell, essentially, you know, literally. Um, and I'll just uh, make, uh, make a new one, you know. No, that's not what he says, right? He says, I have to do something, right? So what does he do? So this is the, this is the illustration that St. Athanasius does use. He says, suppose there was a really rich person who had a portrait portrait artist draw a portrait of them. So what do you do? Uh, what, what, what are the, I'm, I'm not an artist um, and I don't know very much about it, but I know this is what I know. Um, if, if I wanted somebody to draw a portrait of not me, for example, or let's say my wife and daughters, what would I do? Well, I would get my wife and daughters. It would never work with my daughters because they would never sit still. But let's say my wife, I would get her to sit still. So she would be called the model. And then the artist would come and he would look at the model and paint, you know, an image that would look like the model, right? So I'm using these words on purpose, right? So what is he, when he's done his masterpiece, 
What is it? It's an image. And what does it look like? It looks like the model. So we're created in the image and likeness of God. Right? Now suppose there's a, a, a fire or something in, in this home. And the portrait, this priceless portrait, the Mona Lisa, okay? There's a fire in the museum, blah, 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 whatever. And the Mona Lisa is covered in soot, you know, and the black stuff from a fire, right? So what are you going to do with this priceless piece of art? Just, well, I guess we'll just throw it out and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll just get another one. Well, you can't. It's like a one-hit wonder, right? There's like nothing ever like it. So what would you do, right? You try to clean it up as best you can. Okay, you can't. It's distorted beyond recognition. What would you do? Well, you'd get the model to sit in the same position again, and you would get the artist to come and to restore the image, right? Now, in this analogy... All analogies have their limitations. St. Athanasius explains that if we are created in the image and likeness of God, whose image and likeness are we created in? Which person of the Trinity? The Father? No one has seen the Father at any, at any time, says the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit? The Spirit is like the wind, Jesus explains. You know, we don't know where it comes from, we don't know where it's going, but we sure feel it when it passes. So whose image are we created in? Jesus. So Jesus is the model that we are created in his image and likeness. Who is the artist? Well, God. Yes, specifically, but which person of the Trinity? The Son. The second person of the Trinity, he is, he is the creator. He is the maker, right? So he is the artist and he is the model who restores the image made of, of him. So how does he do that? By becoming human. He takes on our humanity and he takes all the broken, fragmented parts of humanity that is humanity that's all fallen apart, and we'll talk about that in a second, and he puts it all back together again. He puts it all back together again. How? By himself becoming human and in his humanity absorbing all of our humanity together. What are you talking about, Abuna, like that humanity's all fallen and broken apart? I'll tell you. What happens just one generation after the fall? Adam and Eve eat from the tree? What's the next story after Adam and Eve that doesn't necessarily have Adam and Eve in it? Cain and Abel. One generation later, humanity is self-destructing, right? Seven generations from Adam and Eve is a guy called Lamech. Lamech says, whoever touches somebody in my family, I will kill him, I will kill his family, I will burn his village, I will erase his name off the face of the earth. This guy was serious, right? Humanity degenerated into ridiculous evil beyond what you and I could ever imagine in such a short time. By, by the time of Noah, in Genesis 6, it says... And every thought of every man was evil all the time. Four superlatives in one verse. Except for this one man, Noah. Every thought of every man was evil all the time. Wow. St. Basil defines evil for us. 
as the absence of God. St. Athanasius says something really, really, really beautiful. He says this. He says that for the solidarity of mankind is such that by virtue of the words indwelling, the virtue, by virtue of Jesus becoming human, in a single human body, the corruption which goes with death, death has lost its power over all. He says this. He's saying that the way humanity works and the solidarity that exists within humanity is such that God, when he becomes human, he removes the power of death in all, in all of humanity and thus restores the image. So St. Athanasius goes on to explain that Jesus was incarnate and in, in, we, we didn't explain, I, I had meant to explain at the very beginning what the word incarnate means. What is, what is, what is this funny word that we don't really use in our common language? The word incarnate simply means this, like carn, carnal means flesh, means the word became flesh, like it says in John 1. The, the word of the Father became flesh. And why we refer to Jesus as the word of the Father, the Logos of the Father, is also another very short conversation. But again, you can ask me in questions and answers, or we can, uh, we can discuss it one-on-one -on -one if you want to know. But anyways, right? So this whole, this whole work of St. Athanasius, which is so seen, thought to be so important, is all of it is just talking about why did God have to take Flesh. The first answer is that we, humanity, through our own desire and, and through our own, our own wanting, ruptured the loving relationship with God and went from being immortal to becoming mortal and corruption took seed in our flesh. So what did he do? He took flesh so that he could take our flesh, our human flesh that was now corruptible and return it back to having the potential to be incorruptible like that whole thing about something being plugged into the wall right a device being plugged into the wall where like, where like you know your electrical power you know in the building or in the home or in the whatever is the power of god the life of god and then like we're the device right so he became human he put himself in humanity he absorbed humanity into his humanity that he could do away with the power of death the second reason saint athanasius explains to us is so he could reveal to us the father so we were saying when we we're talking about the verses of the trinity and we we're talking about the, the we were talking about the father we were saying no one has seen the father at any time but the only begotten son he has revealed him in first John, in, in John chapter one, right. I believe verse eighteen, right. So he has revealed him, and then Saint Athanasius goes on to explain that he didn't reveal him because there was no other way for us to know him. He didn't reveal him because, like, if he hadn't revealed him, no one would have ever known God. Actually, very much the opposite. What about all the saints of the Old Testament? What about Abraham who was the friend of God and Moses who spoke to God face to face? And how did all these people get to know God, right? 
They got to know a God who had, they had never been able to see, but they knew him. And St. Athanasius goes on to explain that, that God is actually very clearly revealed in all of creation, and all of creation bears the fingerprints of God, he says. He doesn't quite use the word fingerprints, but he uses, he uses the, like he says it's a very handy work or something like that, right? And so it's not so much that, that we, he couldn't be known, but that despite the ability to know him through all of creation, we didn't, we weren't able to. Then he says he was also revealed in the law, but nobody kept the law. And he was also revealed through holy men who knew him. Like, so Moses spoke to God as, a, as one who speaks to another face to face. It says in, 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 in the first five books of, of, of uh, or the first, you know, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, right? So, well, if Moses speaks to God face to face, I could know God through Moses, but that didn't really work either. So Jesus came to reveal to us the Father, and he tells us that these are basically the two main reasons why, um, why Jesus was incarnate. Now, what I'm sharing with you is like it's critically important. It's critically important, why? Because it, it's, a, it's a total game changer. It's a total game changer because, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just gonna speak uh, freely, if that's okay. It's not necessarily like what I was taught in Sunday school. Like, so what I was taught in Sunday school was like, don't go to bad places, because Jesus is with you always, but if you go to bad places, Jesus is going to wait for you at the door. So it's almost like there's places where God will, will not go if I go to those places. The whole, on the incarnation, like the whole thing from beginning to end is based on the one premise which is exactly the opposite. Which is God out of his solidarity with us refuses to leave us even if we choose death. Like, it's not so clear in the English. Oftentimes the Arabic is closer to the Hebrew because they're Semitic languages, right? When the serpent talks to Eve, he says to her, did God tell you that you will surely die if you eat from this tree? You will not surely die. And she says to him, God has told us that by death we will die. What's, what's going on here? It's not so clear in the English. In Arabic it says, Mautan tamut, which means like by death you will die. So by a process called death, you will end up dead, is what it is, what it is saying, right? That's what God said to Adam and Eve. But they were really innocent. And it's that innocence which preserved the relationship between them and God and kept them incorrupt and immortal. But what's the devil is playing on their innocence? And this is why we say, in the liturgy, we say that through the deceit of the serpent, we fell from eternal life and were exiled from the paradise of joy. It was by deceit. So what did he say? He said, surely you're not going to take, take like a bite of the apple and drop dead. Like, surely. And for Adam and Eve, like for Eve in that moment and Adam later, think about it. They had never seen anything 
die, ever. So it was like completely unfathomable to them that like, you think I'm like, we're just gonna sink our teeth into this and we're gonna die? And so Eve answers the serpent and says, no, God didn't say we will die. He said by death we will die. She doesn't know what that means, right? And it, what does it mean? It means that a process, a process through disobedience, a process was engaged called death, called corruption, called getting unplugged, which is going to lead to what? To death. And the key message, the key message, okay, of on the incarnation is this. We're going to just cover this key message one last time. And then we're going to move to what does this have anything to do with me in the 21st century besides like understanding the cosmos, but like in my day to day, right? The key message is ever so simply this, that God has such solidarity with us, with humanity, his creation, that he refuses to be separated from us even by death. There's this, uh, anybody here watch The Flash on Netflix? Anybody? Am I the only person with a, a Netflix addiction? Okay, wow, that was really embarrassing. <laughs> so there's this scene where the, the wife of The Flash, she's his girlfriend, and it's a long story, and, you know, too long to cover, too many seasons to cover now, right? Where um, somehow uh, he's like, he, he is robbed of his powers and like he's wearing these like handcuffs which like remove his powers or something, right? And so um, that like big bad guy pushes him off of a building and he falls, right? She has the key to those handcuffs. So what does she do? She jumps off the building. She doesn't have any superpowers, right? So if she doesn't get the key into the handcuffs fast enough for him to like zoom around and save both of them, they're both gonna end up pancakes you know, on the street, right? He is going to die. And he asks her, what were you thinking in that moment? And she says, if you die, I die. Like, it's simple. Like, what kind of life am I going to live if you're dead? All of these are pathetic analogies when we're trying to apply them to God. But they give us like some. So we choose death. He chooses to enter into death with us. What happens when life enters into death? What happens when, you know, when you walk into the washrooms here that have those, those great light, those great motion sensors, right? The lights go on. What happens when the light goes on? Darkness is immediately expelled. Like, there's no, like, battle between, like, light and darkness. And, you know, like, like you know, it's just, and it's an immediate thing. As soon as the lights go on, the darkness is gone. As soon as life enters into death, death is no more. St. Athanasius says this beautiful phrase. He's playing with the words. He says, and by, and by, um, um, and by death, oh, can't remember it now. You forget the punchline, right? Um, and, and by death, death has died. 
It says, and by death, death has died. What's he talking about? If you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, you'll notice that the moment Jesus died on the cross, the veil is torn in two, and the dead who were in the graves came back to life. But they didn't come out of their graves until Jesus came out of his, so that he would be the first one to come back, to come back from the dead. But they could no longer be dead the moment that life, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life died. When life died, death died, and death became no more. And the reason this is a game changer is that there is actually nothing that you can do even to choose to die that can separate you from God. That is the degree of the solidarity that God has with us. We were talking on the way here in the car and saying, I was saying, you know, I really respect, you know, people who are Muslim, who are, who are, are you know, like ex critically examining other faiths and find it incredibly difficult to believe in Christianity due to the incarnation. I've met a multitude of them, right? It's oftentimes one of the things they have the most difficulty with. And the reason is, is that how can Allah, Allah the Great, God the Great, and St. Gregory describes him in the liturgy as the unlimited, the uncircumscribable, the immeasurable, the uncontainable, right? The endless, without beginning. How can he be, you know, how can he be contained in this human, in a pathetic human. I'm coming down with a cold and a few days from now I'll be like completely incapacitated by something which is so small it can't even be seen under a microscope. Like it can't be seen under an electron microscope. Like the highest, under the highest magnification we can't see viruses. And I'm gonna be like out for a week. We're so fragile. How can God, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, you know what? Respect, man. I respect that. I respect somebody who has so much respect for God. Now, but I also believe that this huge, enormous God has such deep, irrational affection for you and for me and solidarity with you and me that there is actually nothing that we can do that would make him want to part with us. That's a game changer. What does that mean to do with you and me? In the business world now, like all these leadership things, there's this thing that's been, it's been around for a while called incarnational leadership. What are they talking about? They're talking about like grassroots leadership. They're talking about like when the CEO leaves his like, you know, window office in the penthouse suite and goes down to the factory floor and rolls up his sleeves and for a day he turns a screw on the production line, you know? And he gets to know the guy next, next to him on his right and the guy on his left, right? And, and he does it for a week. And like after three days he realizes that like, 
Within three days, he's heard everything that anybody has to say, you know, and they basically just repeat the same stories over and over again on the production line, you know, and he gets to be one of the people, you know. That's basically what they talk about when they talk about, like, incarnational leadership. It's, it's being, being a leader from the ground. Not necessarily all the time, but at least spending some time on the ground so you know firsthand what people are doing, Right? And this is like a term in the business world, like, like you guys, you, you, so a lot of you are much more business uh, uh, literate than I am, right? Uh, called incarnational. What does it mean? It means that nothing is going to allow me to be separated from you. I want you to um, take a moment and write down on your phones, like open a new text message or something or whatever, just write this down. Write down... Two different environments in which you operate. Work and home, home and friends, uh, friends in the gym, I don't know. Just two different places where you are around people, okay? Give you 10 seconds, 15 seconds to do that. Now I'm to ask you, if Jesus were one of those people in your environment, and he had this incarnational approach of refusing to let anything separate him from you. Okay? But he's one of your colleagues, he's one of your gym buddies, he's one of somebody in your family at home, he's whatever, okay? What, one of those two places, okay? What would that look like? Pause for a minute and imagine it in this context and then imagine it in the other context. Either or, but I mean like not in like a stalkerish kind of way, right? Okay. Oh, thank you. So that's basically, that's basically how incarnation plays out in day-to-day -day life. Now here's the next game changer, which is what I'm gonna end with, is that and this is like, this is like foundational for like why we are, why we are like celebrating the, like a whole month of the incarnation before Jesus' birth, you know, called the Coptic month of Kiak, but it doesn't matter what it's called, right? Is that, so how did Jesus become incarnate? Like from thin air? Like, no, he came from somewhere. He wasn't born from, like, you know, some, like, sci-fi portal, you know? He was born from, not a trick question, Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. Like, and how did he come into, like, life on Earth, you know? How did he end up in a manger? Well, you don't need a biology lesson from me, but from St. Mary. Right? That's the door that he came through. Right? And the point is this, is that Jesus took flesh from St. Mary. And God wishes to be incarnate in those two places that you scribbled down on your phone. Through created matter. Through a created means. Through St. Mary. Well, sorry to break it to you, but St. Mary lived 2,000 years ago. 
So through who? Through you. So this business of incarnation is not something from 2,000 years ago. This business of incarnation is a lifestyle. It's not Christmas that we celebrate by exchanging gifts only. Sure, I love gifts. Give gifts. Give lots of gifts. Give me one too. <laughs> but it's not just about that. It's about, it's about the fact that Jesus says, that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing in the universe, not even death, can separate, can separate us, right? And like it says in Song of Solomon, for love is even greater than death. But God wants to live that out in those places that you wrote down on your phone. But He's not going to live them out through thin air. He's not going to live them out through some sci-fi portal, like we're saying. He wants to live them out through a human. He needs an obedient human who when he says to you da 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 you say yes behold the main servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word glory be to God forever and ever amen I have sinned forgive me Abuna absolve me